Algar Productions. Welcome to the Death of Podcasts. I'm Al, and this is Amanda. Hello. And we're making our way through Terry Pratchett's Discworld series one book at a time. This month, we're discussing book three, Equal Rights. That's R-I-T-E-S. Ah. It's a pun or play on words. More on that subject later. <laughs> Amanda, why don't you tell the people what happens in Equal Rights? Esk is the eighth daughter of an eighth son and is given a wizard staff, which gives her all of the powers of a wizard, usually reserved for men. Granny Weatherwax, the best character of the series, trains her as a witch and tries to get Esk accepted into Unseen University, the Wizarding University. Uh, I would say second best character. Best character in the series. No, it was my summary. Best character. Fine. (laughs) We will will, uh, have this conversation... Many times over the Many course times. of this podcast, I am under, I, I have little doubt about that. <laughs> so this was a huge leap forward. I remembered because I, I had uh, read this not too terrible long ago, and I was like, "Huh, pretty good." Well, so th- I mean, as we mentioned, I believe last time, yeah. there are a lot of uh, basic themes and also some character stuff mm-hmm. that connects to the very last book he ever mm-hmm. wrote. And so, yeah, that made you want to, when you got to the end, you wanted to go back and see. It felt like he was just uh, tying a few loose yeah. ends of stuff. Because we don't, until the very end of the series, we don't come back to these characters no, this, or whatever happens to them. And this seems like a major groundbreaking thing that happened. And it's weird that there are no repercussions ever. None. They don't change, like, the 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 how the book goes is they change the way magic is perceived by everyone. And we're going to admit women to the university now. And, yeah, and we come back to the university a lot and there's no more women. There. No, and they say Granny's going to be uh, like a, a guest lecturer. Uh, she says maybe. But, you know, it's, it's implied that things yeah. are about to change. And, then, and they don't. then they super don't. It's probably one of those. And, and this is a nice thing that's already been established. Uh, Unseen University usually, you know, uh, so you die and we've all move up in rank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now it's it's uh, ruled angle. over. Yeah. Ruled over by someone fairly stable. Yep. But and that's probably why some nice things happen. But uh, he'll be on the way out and then things will go into chaos again. And uh, there actually, I just no prized. <laughs> they they uh, they again. They, Terry, the people the, who, the people who wrote this the, book. Yes, the writing room. The writing room who wrote this book. Mm-hmm. They came uh, out of the room. <laughs> uh, Terry Pratchett uh, talks about how different wizards come into and out of style. Mm-hmm. And right now the style is for jolly friendly wizards, which yes. is what the the uh, the the arch chancellor is. Yes, but he says sometimes it's you know twisty bearded evil wizards, and sometimes it's like maniacal laughing wizards, and sometimes it's like kind of like roly poly guys like this. And that's that's what it'll be when we come back to it it'll just be Mm -hmm. different ones Mm -hmm. but it is interesting and i don't take it like i read some stuff about how this one is complete like it completely changed everything Mm -hmm. like oh this isn't even the same unseen university like i have a couple of books that are like uh commentary on these just for additional insights things we could talk about on the show yeah and um one of them was like, well, this isn't even the same Unseen University. And it's like he already said in the very first book, or maybe the second one, things change all the time. People mm-hmm. are always stabbing each other in the back, and it's probably a regime change. And at the end of um, at the end of the Life Fantastic, yeah. all of the wizard guys were, like all of the main oh, they're wizards, all statues, were all, yeah. they're all dead. Yeah. So uh, it makes sense that different guys are in charge. Plus, 
it was there was almost a hostile takeover by someone like mm-hmm. really good at being doing hostile takeover so they're like maybe they stopped and said whoa maybe this isn't the best way forward or more likely uh, terry pratchett didn't realize he was gonna make a, a big long series and was just kind of jerk assing around yeah but that's not that can't be the answer the answer is jerk assing no that can't be the answer the answer has to like you have to you know speculate yes exactly wildly speculate and honestly there's like granny weatherwax who we disagree is the number one or number two best character in Discworld, but we both agree is one of the very best characters she's superb she's so good is what would you say 90 percent of what really she'll be? i remembered actually that she was kind of there in this one but not a not yeah. wholly there and she's not there's some weird her, her whole thing is that she is the toughest of the tough and the smartiest of the smarties mm-hmm. um and in this there's some time early on where she's a little tentative and lets people browbeat her which just a little which though. felt real weird but by the end of this very mm-hmm. book She's got like she's striding into the wizard hall and people are like, you can't be in here. And she just like bullies her way through and pushes them over. And they say women aren't allowed in here Mm -hmm. and or no ladies aren't allowed Mm -hmm. in here. And she's like, well, I'm not a lady. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of that, too. So uh, it's like she evolves in the course of the book. Yeah, she changes very much in the course of the book. Actually, uh, Esk has a nice line that I forgot to highlight uh, later on in the uh earlier on in the book where she says um, she learns that if you start ignoring the unwritten rules Mm -hmm. that people slowly rewrite them as not to apply to you. Right. And it feels like she very much learned that from from Granny. Right. No, and we get her being a mentor, which Mm -hmm. will come up uh, majorly in the Tiffany Aching books. It comes up a little bit with Magrat and more with, Mm -hmm. and this means nothing to any of you who are reading, you know, these in order for the first time. But for those of you who aren't, uh, it'll also come up with uh, Perdita. Mm-hmm. Like this is this Agnes. is yes, this is a role that will come up repeatedly. Mm-hmm. She makes she's a, the most senior witch. She's the best at it, and she often takes young women under her wing to teach her to teach them the ropes. But like many people who are very good at th- something, doesn't mean that they're good at teaching it. Yeah, and she's no, yeah she she's gives oh, her some knowledge. Yes. But when it comes to actually teaching her what she needs to know, mm. she's very uh, uncertain. That is true. Yeah. And that's true the whole the whole series. That's something that's a good character flaw. Yeah, it is. Well, and the one thing that I thought was very at odds with mm-hmm. her later portrayals is how much she loves being in the city. Mm-hmm. She is very much of where she's from and she's you know that's sort of provincial very mm-hmm. english very i don't trust foreigners i don't trust people from places that put too much garlic in there like there's a lot of anti-french stuff there yep. there's a lot of raising your eyebrow at anything other than right here though she does almost always grudgingly come to enjoy the things that she's yes staunchly but against. she'll never admit that no and in this and I liked this, mm-hmm. but in this, there's this whole uh, riff on her loving the city and basically setting up shop and making, you know, uh, uh, what Penny was Royal she? preventatives. Right. There's a lot of wink, wink, and I'm pretty sure I knew what it was. Yep. It was like some, you know, some VD treatment mm-hmm. and some prophylactics mm-hmm. and maybe love potions, mm-hmm. question mark. 
So and and that was all. And she seemed to enjoy. Yeah. She's at one point. She's like, I'm gonna have to set up a shop and train someone to to fill these orders. Yeah, train. Got to train someone up. And that was funny, but it did not fit her. Yeah, later on, like my understanding of her mm-hmm. at all. But uh, who cares? Also, there was um, some pretty, at least seemed clear to me. It was a little subtexty where she was. Uh, there's there's a lot of talk about uh, child prevention and it also mm-hmm. seemed like some abortion stuff as well which is yeah. pretty racy like that will come up again i yeah, know it, it definitely does which is our well let's let's backtrack yeah. a little let's, let's talk, talk about, about witches what witches Baby. are in terry pratchett books i mean when you talk about witches you're talking about sex sort of tangentially mm-hmm. so that fits that song also mm-hmm. um they like magic is presented as sort of like two sides of the same coin. The wizards are the book learning and Mm -hmm. the witches are the practical. Would you say that's correct? That's correct. And later on in the series, and it's one of the reasons, one of the, I wish Terry Pratchett wasn't dead. But one of the many reasons that I wish he wasn't dead is he started to, in the later, in the later books, play more with the idea of what, um, masculinity and fem- femininity and magic and gender and all that was. There's and a I little would, bit of that there's here. There's a little bit here, but it basically, from this point on, it basically goes away yeah. until way late in the series. And I would love to hear more what t- more of what Terry Pratchett has to say about gender. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there's not a ton of it in his books. No, and, and without really spoiling that, that last mm-hmm. book, there's some stuff in there about a boy who mm-hmm. wants to be a witch, which dovetails with mm-hmm. this girl who wants to be a wizard. And there's a lot of stuff in there that sort of felt coded as non-binary or possibly trans, sure. but it was very sort of early days. Like you could tell he was starting to think about it yeah. like he does in in a lot of his books where you come back to the same theme where he was starting to it was starting to percolate in the back of his head and I really would like to have well, yeah, seen like like a lot of yeah. us his eyes became more open to yeah. things and he thought they were more worth discussing as he thought about them himself but th- and yeah this is more of a traditional sort of feminist is... story about a girl who wants to go to a place that she's not allowed to be because the men say she can't and that is a very classic uh sword and sorceress story sure the no you can't yes you can no you can't right. yes you can kind of thing um which is it's pretty played out and i actually was i would have been neat to see him do a little more satire on that subject. Um, there wasn't much in the way of satire of that type of literature in this. But we were talking about witches. Um, so the the magic is split into masculine magic and feminine magic, which Terry Pratchett takes from a bunch of, like, the Golden Dawn stuff, like a bunch of, like, actual magic practitioners. Well, one like, of the things thing. One of the things in the L-Space Sanitations yeah. was he like yeah it's taken from some mm-hmm. fantasy stuff but also common like se- those are secondary mm-hmm. sources like the, there's a wizard's duel in here which is great oh, yes there's the, the wizard's duel which everyone said haha like in um, like in sword of in, the stone which was which based is, on uh, which was once in future king right but and he's like no we both took from the same primary source yeah which is a he said a very freudian sort of folk song about right. you know well, I'll turn into a snake. Huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll turn into a basket that snake goes into. And that's literally mm-hmm. what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... But it's a it's a fun battle, and it's a nice way to illustrate the difference between witchery and wizardry. And uh, the 
head wizard who fights with Granny in this mm-hmm. actually uh, has a bit of a crush on Granny. And that's the one other thing that felt a little out of character for her because mm-hmm. she was kind of into it. Though later on, there's some uh, a little bit more playing with that with her and another mm, Not character. much of one. There's that one story where she sort of thinks about what might have been and yeah. that's it. Yeah. But she always feels like this is the correct choice for her. But that all felt very sexual like the wizard it did. felt very sexual and then yeah. afterwards they were both sort of like oh my yeah and <laughs> that sexy wizards duel in and of the story i liked it a great deal mm-hmm. like their flirtation was well written it mm-hmm. was cute it made cute angle more than just an obstacle he was a character and seeing him flirt with this character that i was already familiar with and liked mm-hmm. made him more likable to me but it just and i shouldn't count this against the book because it's what comes later it's yep. sort of a course correction later but it it it's not it didn't feel like her to me but it was it was it was well written and it was oh it, it absolutely was, was it absolutely was and so anyways you get the masculine magic which is supposed which again falls into some very normative gender stuff where it's mm-hmm. like well you know boys do geometry and mm-hmm. maths and reading and girls have like the heart and take care of the like the the yeah. homey stuff and all that but what he did do that I liked is say is explain the value of both of these things. Yeah. Like it wasn't like one was one is clearly better than the other, though each person practicing it thought, no, this is the important and thing. And see, that's what I like about the way he writes mm-hmm. is he sometimes has a position, but mm-hmm. usually the characters are the ones who are like, he doesn't say which one is best. He right. says, well, the best woman at this thinks that's the, the way is the best. Thing. And yeah. the best man at this thinks he's. And the thing is, I like this as an overall theme, even if it wasn't a gender thing, Mm -hmm. the whole idea of sort of natural talent versus book learning Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like that's a, like Matt, who I work with on uh, our other podcast. uh, One uh, of my oldest human friends. Yes. uh, Who is listening to this right now. Hi, Hi, Matt. Matt. Is, and I have said this to him and about him many mm-hmm. times, is a very naturally funny person, mm-hmm. which drives me nuts when he we write together. He can have us, everyone, he can take over a whole room and have everyone rolling on the floor, like, because he's so fucking funny. Right. It's and deeply annoying. All of my funniest stuff comes after agonizing mm-hmm. over every word and every, like, I have to think about it. I have to plan it. And to me, that's the classic. It's like the Nixon Kennedy thing. It's like the some people Which are, are natural at it. Oh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a suit to the beach. You know exactly who I am. But that's this, this dichotomy. Mm-hmm. That's this, you know, this whole thing is natural talent mm-hmm. versus book learning. And um, learning through experience versus being mm-hmm. taught and apprenticeship versus like a... Um, a more traditionally schooling with levels and all of right. this. And that represents itself through or manifests itself through uh, Escarina and also um, Simon. Yeah. Who is the young. Oh, right. Simon's of... the other one. The one that yeah. like the least interesting character in the. In... Yeah, but this, he's pretty important to the story. He's important to the story, but he is a prop. You talk about yeah. uh, you talk about uh, Q-Tangle getting a character and being interesting simon is a naturally gifted um wizard who has a lot of ideas about how magic um how magic is yeah and and how it seems and like a lot of discworld books magic is framed like physics yeah like he's got a lot of ideas about fundamental particles Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of kind of cute jokes that are probably funnier to people familiar with Mm -hmm. physics a lot of stuff about quantum Mm -hmm. i don't know Mm -hmm. i got the gist of it math no, there was no actual math. 
But but he's actually my bad thing, mm-hmm. or more specifically, the only character trait he has, mm-hmm. which is his speech impediment. I don't like characters with speech impediment. Like, they're hard to read, they're hard to listen to, and they just generally slow things down. Like, people in life sometimes have trouble speaking. That's not that's not my issue. It, it'd be fine if the narrative just said he had trouble with his W's and his S's, uh, but the dialogue was written more, but then the dialogue's written more or less as normal. That would be much easier. It's, I read a lot of, well, I used to read a lot of Star Trek books, mm-hmm. and when you read Scotty or Chekhov mm-hmm. and their accents are written into their dialogue, mm-hmm. it's interminable. And it's not written like he has a speech impediment. It's written like with Cohen where it's a joke. Yeah, like that's what I'm talking ha-ha about. Ha yeah. ha talks funny. And in in this case, his um, his whole deal is he he stumbles over certain letters yeah. and people feel bad for him mm-hmm. and say the words for him, which is fine. But it's it also uh, seems annoying. Yeah, and uh, the uh, the book the audiobook switched um narrators this time. Mm-hmm. Celia Emery did it, and she is fantastic. I really like her. Yeah. Um, and the her portrayal of these characters was so good. Her granny's yeah. so good, her esque so good. And she did as good as she could with yeah. Simon. It's like it was irritating to listen to. She's a very good performer who read the words in front of her, but it was just written very irritating. And to be clear, people with speech impediments listening to or speaking with some of them is not irritating. No. This was written. No, it's written as a, a joke. It's written as a joke. Yeah. It was very much, ha ha, this is funny. Right. And it it really, it one, it wasn't funny. Yeah. And two, it was a little insensitive. Yeah, it feels a little mean. Yeah. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm not saying, oh, screw people with, that have trouble speaking. I, I went to speech therapy when I was a kid. I can relate. I mm-hmm. absolutely can. But yeah, it felt very. It was a little, a little mean. A, a little. It's it's just it's lazy as well. And it, it wasn't funny. It's lazy. Yeah. It's a way to show that a kid is awkward mm-hmm. without putting in the work, and there wasn't much other work there. And th- yeah, there wasn't really much to him. Mm-hmm. And Esk um, has sort of a schoolgirl crush on him, which is from her perspective is kind of cute. Yeah. Um, and she spends a lot of her time like he's sort of the damsel in distress. He has a lot of problems that. You know your your typical like this is a girlfriend character have, mm-hmm. um, or you could replace him with coat rack and it wouldn't make a whole lot of difference. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of the cock forest problem, mm-hmm. this book the primary and secondary character are women, and most of the dudes are there mm-hmm. to prop them up. So, you know, major points there. Yeah, you could see the cock forest for the cock trees. Yes, that's or the cockatrees. That's not uh-huh. really uh-huh. how that works uh-huh. at all. A fantasy joke fantasy joke no i don't get it ah, singing a little song doesn't make you. it funnier it's not for you everyone out there's loving it possibly <laughs> i i just what i was saying before about a leap forward mm-hmm. this is the format this is what he locks into it and, and there's yep. still some stumbles after this but it's completely character driven now yep. we are in these characters heads the plot is there but the plot is sort of incidental and it's like you expect like a lot of the stuff you expect like i expected there to be a lot more fighting when she got to the university there's mm-hmm. one scene where she says i can do magic and then it she fizzles out and then she hangs back until the big you know big emergency happens it's just it doesn't hit all the beats you expect because it's way more about the characters and way less about rigid plotting and i love that and when they don't let esk into the university it's 
heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. Because they don't like throw her out in disgrace. They treat her like a child and they give her like a cookie, a pat on the head and send her on her way. Mm -hmm. And that's so much worse. Oh, poor Esk. Yeah. And her magic fails her because she's trying too hard. Yep. And she goes up and she, she's all confident that she can do the thing and she can't. And then they patronize her and send her on her way. Yep. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, it is. But see, we're only on book three mm-hmm. and he's already able to write characters that can kind of break your heart a little mm-hmm. bit, which is impressive. Yeah, and the thing is, like, the characters in the the first two books, like um, Rincewind and Two Flower, they were all right, but I didn't care that much about what happened to them. I very much cared what happened to Esk. Yeah, and we know, having read the whole series, mm-hmm. that she'll come back for about 30 books from now, yeah. but this is it for this character. It's not like we're getting invested in someone mm-hmm. we know gets better. Like, this is it, this and is we it, already yeah. like her. Like, a She's lot of... actually my entire good thing. Okay. Like I was going to uh, my 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 initial good thing was hooray Granny's here hooray 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 but I will have like thirteen I, more chances for that I'm gonna I'm gonna save it I'm gonna yep. save my Granny as a good thing um, so, I I call dibs when we get to Carpe Jugulum yes that's, that's a my very, favorite yeah. moment um, but I I like Esk a lot yeah she's a very she's a realized character um, she has she's a force for chaos like mm-hmm. they um uh the narrator talks about her as being like a, a catalyst mm-hmm. so things are always happening around her mm-hmm. um every time she enters into a new situation it just causes just absolute chaos yeah. but she is really likable mm-hmm. like i i enjoy following her i was expecting when i got to the parts where we were with esk and not granny mm-hmm. just to be like okay get back where where yeah. is granny where is granny but it wasn't i was excited and i was it was it was enjoyable she's cute mm-hmm. but not like annoyingly so no she has a great curiosity that mm-hmm. drives her and she also has a great confidence mm-hmm. that is not really earned nope and but like a kid does yeah but then spending time with granny who's yeah. nothing but confidence she hasn't learned humility because mm-hmm. her main example is someone who just walks into a room and and insists that she belongs there. And Esk is like, yeah, I'll be like that. And there's never a point where she has, like, that's why mm-hmm. that scene where she's patronized is so heartbreaking because to that point, she's gotten every single thing she wanted. Mm-hmm. And the one thing she really wanted, she couldn't have. It was very well, well put together. But it didn't together. feel like, you know, popular girl. No. But yet doesn't get what she wants. Like, it doesn't feel like Harry Potter. <laughs> no. Uh, there were times where she overextended. Yep. And actually, my good thing is... Uh, the concept of borrowing, mm-hmm. which oh, is so good. not exactly where you become an animal. It's more where you, your brain sort of hitchhikes mm-hmm. in the back of their mind. And you've told me it's been used in a million billion fantasy stories before. And yeah, it's a fantasy trope. I don't really know fantasy, so this is my first exposure to it. And the way he describes it really works for me. It could have just been a sort of a neat tell, don't show, like Mm -hmm. listing off all the things witches do. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, it's mostly herbs and helping deliver babies, but also you can do this thing with animals. But then the centerpiece of the book, I would say, Mm -hmm. the big main peril where Esk borrows with an eagle and Granny says, all right, that's enough. Time to go home. Come home now. And she takes off into the stratosphere so she can look at the whole world and then she's almost gone forever Mm -hmm. was so good. Not only did it, really illustrate the point like how this stuff works perfectly but it also provided some natural parallel in about the middle of the book and it gave you a real sense of esque like oh 
Yeah, she'll just like she'll do whatever she wants. And Esk um is such a confident again real character yeah. and she lose like when she's borrowing she loses herself yep. and that's what's scary to her is that she's forgetting who she is yep. and she's a person who's herself down to her boots yeah uh and so it's a really like it's a really scary feeling but also the danger is very personal the danger is to esk and to granny because she's worried about esk it's yeah. not like a big yeah her parents trusted end. Her, her with their daughter yeah Sorry, she's a bird now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was, it, that was that was easily my favorite part of the book. It was that, so good. I, I love that whole concept, and it was it was very well done. And then it comes up again yep. later when they're in the university, because it's magic. It's such an old building, and because it's absorbed all this magic, it's essentially alive. And Granny can sort of borrow with the building. Yep. And sense what's happening in it, and there's some very good stuff there. And we talk about uh, there's a sequence where. Granny is coming back from borrowing the building and she's thinking of her arms as eaves and her eyes as windows and mm-hmm. it's all so good. Yeah. And then later on later on yet again, she tells uh the wizards that the building is scared of thunderstorms and mm-hmm. that the building needs to be comforted. And so they do because she tells yep. them to and then everyone feels better for having done it. It's oh, so cute. No, and cute angle says uh the building's never talked to me. And she says, have you ever listened to it? Well, no. no. Well, there <laughs> yeah. you go. So, yeah, I, I really liked all of that. Um, Your bad thing is is something a little problematic. Oh, it's not great. Yeah. I, again, this is an old book. And Terry Pratchett definitely grows as a writer and as a person. And like everyone else, it really feels like he's just trying to do his best and mm-hmm. learn but there is a word in that's used a couple times in the book that's actually a racial slur. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to. The purple robot from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, it's a bad word uh, for uh, the Romani people. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's used to describe a, like a, a manner of dress. And it's mentioned that, that uh, these folks are in the disc like on the disc world which is weird because there's not a no and, and of... that's actually in the l space yeah. stuff he's like i have to write english words i can't disguise everything yeah. or you're not going to understand what i'm saying you just have to understand that i'm telling the story in english yeah and i don't think in 1987 or whenever this is that a lot of people or maybe they did and white people didn't listen mm-hmm. but i don't think it was widely accepted as offensive at that point or I, he wouldn't have used it i'm not sure but it's, i don't it's, think he would have used it if he'd li- known it's better. jarring to read uh, it's jarring to read now. Um, See, I didn't know that was wrong. What I thought was that you shouldn't use that word to describe those people, but that the word itself was still okay. It's it's not a good word. And as as the whitest of white people, it's not our place to say what's no, offensive. And if they not. say, don't use this word, I will say, okay. Yep. You're the boss. Whatever you say. Yes. But I don't know what I'm talking about. All I know is what I'm reading in essays yeah. written by people who know what they're talking about. Yeah. Now, all of that said, yes. the, these people called the Zunes were actually kind of fun. I really enjoyed our adventures with the Zunes. Yeah, um, and I I highlighted it's a very long passage, so bear with me here. But this this it's because this all sort of mm-hmm. feeds into the gist of who this guy is. Yeah, and the Zunes are um, uh, they're nomadic people, who, like you know, yeah, who are uh, they? They're on riverboats uh-huh. and they go up and down the river doing trading and. Uh, 
Yeah, and there's a little bit of like he's got a bunch of wives and there's a little uh, yeah. But something I did like was um they they talk about child theft, which is a negative yeah. stereotype about the Romani, which is gross. Uh but in this, um, when it turns out that Esk has stowed away with them, the dock master tells Granny, don't worry about it. These yeah. folks are couldn't be safer than yeah, with one of them. These folks are rad. Right. And uh don't worry about it. Right. So this is, a, like I say, a bit of a long passage, but I really like this a lot. Their rigid adherence to the truth was apparently not enjoined on them by a god, as is usually the case, but appeared to have a genetic base. The average Zune could no more tell a lie than breathe underwater, and in fact the very concept was enough to upset them considerably. Telling a lie meant no less than totally altering the universe. This was something of a drawback to a trading race, and so over the millennia, the elders of the Zune studied this strange power that everyone else had in such abundance, and decided that they should possess it too. Young men who showed faint signs of having such a talent were encouraged on special ceremonial occasions to bend the truth even further on a competitive basis. The first recorded Zune proto-lie was, actually, my grandfather is quite tall. But eventually they got the hang of it, and the office of tribal liar was instituted. It must be understood that while the majority of Zune cannot lie, they have great respect for any Zune who can say that the world is other than it is, and the liar holds a position of considerable eminence. He represents his tribe and all his dealings in the outside world, which the average Zune long ago gave up trying to understand. Zune tribes are very proud of their liars. Other races get very annoyed by all this. They feel that the Zune ought to have adopted more suitable titles like diplomat or public relations officer. They feel they are poking fun at the whole thing. Is all that true? said Esk suspiciously, looking around the barge's crowded cabin. No, said Amshat firmly. <laughs> I kept wanting to stop and was like, ooh, no, this part's good, too. Ooh, wait, no, this part's good, too. I love the bit about everyone else not liking it. Like, you can't call... You can't... Don't say don't a diplomat say is a liar. Don't but that's, It's true, that's but don't it say it. Yeah. I loved all of that. <laughs> it was so good. Yep. And she spends a little bit of time mm -hmm. with them, enough that it doesn't get old. And th that was a fun bit. That was a I, good bit. I was surprised by how much time she spent apart from Granny. Yep. Like... I thought the whole book was them coming to the university and then splitting up after that. But No, know. they spend a lot of time apart because after they get back together, uh, the last act is mostly them apart because mm -hmm. Esk is trying to save uh, Simon from the, uh, dungeon, the dungeon dimensions again. Right. And uh, she is trying to get the staff back with Q-Tangle. Right. Granny is. So. Which was cute. It was super cute. That's where all the flirty stuff we yeah, were talking about Yeah, it was really was. good. Yep. Um... Mrs. Whitlow, who is the who is in charge of all the lower, yep, like uh, she's like a housekeeper, like the the head of the, the head, housekeeper. Yeah, uh, she sticks around. Yeah, through all the wizard yep. books, so there's like there's some more sort of table setting for mm -hmm. all the stuff that'll happen later. Uh, the librarian is way more the librarian in this. Also, um, Celia Emery's Ooks are Very excellent. Good. Yeah, and I think probably Nigel Planer listened to that and said, "Ooh, I need to I need to get better at that." Mm, yep. Also, they got him back just to be death, which was good. Yeah. Yeah. Because he does a very excellent death. And when we switch from him to Stephen Briggs, I'll be a little disappointed because uh, I think Nigel Planer's death is much, much better. Uh, what else? Um, so my quote. Oh, yes. I will give you my quote. Oh, that, that wasn't actually my quote. That was just a quote. That was just a quote. Oh, yes. okay. Well, I'll give you my quote. All then. right. I got what to do you listen got? to you read for a while. Yeah, of course. Listen to me read. Read. Um, there, would be a uh, there would be a price. Mm. And Granny knew it. I knew enough wizardry to be certain that it would be a high one. But if you were worried about the price, then why were you in the shop? Yes, that's Which very, is a very, very good. good granny line. Yeah, it is. Actually, the quote that I chose, mm -hmm. basically, like I did this one uh, with the first book mm -hmm. where it reminded me of you. Ha! 
This one also reminds me of you. I love Granny so much. Uh, there's a point where she's trying to comfort Esk. Yes. And it says, Granny took the child in her arms and tried to comfort her. She wasn't sure how one went about it, but a distracted patting on the back and vague reassuring noises seemed to work. Yep. That, that's just... That's what comfort looks like. Yeah. <laughs> but then later on, uh, when she tries to comfort her again, it says, The old witch leaned forward and put her hand on Esk's forehead. It was like being caressed by a sock full of warm dice. <laughs> Your comfort Granny. is a little better than a sock full of warm. Dust. Is it? But, you know, That's kind of you to little. say. Yeah, well, you know, I don't want to, you know. <laughs> don't oversell it. <laughs> um, What else? I feel like that's mainly like most of the points. Um, I had a hard time not comparing the young wizards at university to Harry Potter, but yep. obviously those books were like 15 years away. Yep. And also Pratchett generally stole from classier source material. Mm -hmm. But it was still like we had the, like the, the, um, they get there and they get the speech, like, you know, welcome to the university. And these are all kids. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. I think that's just a lot of that's just stolen from English boarding like school. Boarding school. Yeah. So we don't have the experience. But I've read enough English biographies where the beginning chapters are about the guy going to boarding school and they're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that might be, uh, might yeah. be from that. Probably. Uh, we have um, another character in this. When Granny gets to the city, she meets up with a city witch, mm -hmm. um, uh, which is, uh, is it Hildy or Hilda? Uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. Anyway, um, she's uh, she's made she made her way in the city and she's and Granny meets up with her and she's very judgy that she's mm -hmm. in the city. And um, she's a more sort of um, openly sexual character than Granny. Mm -hmm. And it really, I really enjoyed the character, but it was a, a basically a proto version of Nanny Og, who's a mm -hmm. character we're going to meet in the next book. Mm -hmm. uh, who basically, Well, the next witch book. The next yes. witch, yeah, not the next book, the next witch yeah. book, uh, where uh, she's Granny's foil, and uh -huh. they usually go everywhere together. Mm -hmm. um, and so this this felt like the, the, the beginnings of that. Yeah. No, I I think we get a bit of a tour of the different kinds of witches yep. as as we wander to the city because at one point she also meets sort of the fortune telly kind mm -hmm. of one, like the one that you know reads the tea leaves mm -hmm. and tells people like oh yeah you'll fall in love with a dark stranger or whatever, which was a nice way to show like they're not all out there doing you know important work delivering babies mm -hmm. and curing diseases and stuff. I like all of this like. It's hard to explain if this is the first time you've seen this character. Like, all the stuff in Granny's cottage. It's just like, this is where she lives. It's mm -hmm. her house. So what? I don't know. It's a classic setting in all of these books, and it just felt right already. She's got her bees. Mm -hmm. I love all the bee stuff, and that's something that... That's a theme of Terry Pratchett. He's way into bees. I don't know that I'd call that a theme. Yeah, it's a, it's a... He talks about bees a lot and hive and hive stuff. It's a, it's a big thing for him. Hmm. Well, I mean, as it relates to the concept of borrowing, it's like uh, there is not one bee. Mm -hmm. There is many bees. But uh, a lot of good stuff with just her and doing her thing at her cottage. And again, it's it doesn't sound exciting if you've only ever read this book. But it's basically like this is this is one of the most important locations in this entire yep. series to the well, I don't want to spoil it. So it's exciting to to see a house. See, yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you, man. It was just, I was happy that so much of it was there already. We also uh, go back to the uh, White Sand Desert, and this comes up, like, pretty regularly. 
Um, Has it come up before? Uh, we we had Death's Domain, which is not exactly the same. That's more black. No, and this was in the Dungeon Dimension stuff. In the last one, had some of the White Sand Desert, and we have that oh, again okay. here. And that's um, that that's uh, something that is sort of a regular uh, a regular well, the, setting. The for... idea is it's like an adjacent dimension yeah. to the Discworld, and it's the, all these creatures are just waiting to get in. And if you use magic too much, they can get in. And the idea of Simon being this sort of like wizard genius mm -hmm. means, oh, good, we can slip in through his head. And Esk is super, super powerful, so she lights up right uh, as well. But this is also, it's um, the White Sand Desert is also the place you go to when you're in between being alive and being dead mm -hmm. and it, that comes like i don't it's think just, that's the same place i think they just it's all are just, described it, it's, the same it way. looks exactly the same but i, I can't imagine you is. go to the evil hell dimension to no that's that's where limbo. those guys it's like the um the demilitarized zone or the it's the neutral zone so they so aren't supposed to go there it. and yeah. everyone goes there <laughs> yeah that makes sense i guess it could be i'm not sure they might yeah. be different places though i liked um there's a point where they're there and mm -hmm. uh esk sees all these different worlds uh, Terry Pratchett has this way, like this insistence on working Earth into every single story. Mm -hmm. I don't love that because she looks in a in a globe and she sees like our world is very clearly our world. And it's like, why? I know that place. I'm from that place. It kind of sucks. Yep. What else you got? And then she looks at a bunch of other in more interesting worlds. Um, but I, I don't know. I like all that. I like all of his world building. I like how his sort of cosmology works. There's some fun stuff there. I also like um, that when they're escaping the dungeon dimension monsters, they do it by not doing magic, by deliberately not doing magic. That's the That's, big lesson yeah. that Esk took away from Granny, is mm -hmm. Granny basically said, yes, you're capable of doing magic, but really what you want to do is just glare at someone and then they'll be scared of you. Mm -hmm. like, to, they think you're going to do magic. Like She described a curse, which is basically just muttering some words under your breath and everything that goes wrong after that gets blamed on you. Yep. Which I love all that stuff. That's that's her headology, as she calls it, and that will come up repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Is it's way more about how people perceive you. It's very much about the hat and about wearing all black and, and just all of that. And she's not capable of doing half the things people think she is, but they think she is, so mm -hmm. it doesn't make a damn difference. And I love all that. That's what makes her so great. Uh, anything else? Um, one last thing from L Space. Uh, this is something that I totally didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, we uh, run into a character called Mrs. Palm, mm -hmm. who is um, a madam in uh, the series. And she comes up quite a few times. Yeah, she's, she's a, like she's sort another... of the main madam in the city. Yeah. And I had no idea that uh, calling her Mrs. Palm was a joke because really? I was stupid. Oh, um, yeah, Rosie Palm. Yeah, but apparently... Yeah. Palmer, Yeah, uh, uh, on L-Space it says Mrs. Palmer and her daughters is a euphemism for masturbation. Yeah. And I had... Your palm yeah. and your five fingers are the daughters. Uh, yeah, I I had... I'm a dummy and I had no idea. I thought that was just... That's just the name. No, so. you're going you're gonna to go have sex with your palm because that's all you yep. can, you know. I had yeah. no idea, so... Huh. All right. This is the went over. This one is the went over my head corner. <laughs> Very well. Uh, we've actually added a new feature this time. Oh yes. Because uh, last time you you picked as your quote uh, a, a particularly mm -hmm. uh, groan inducing pun, uh, and I realize there's probably at least one of those in every book. That would be just my quote every single time. Yeah, and you know you might instead want to pick something more profound or I more love meaningful puns. or whatever. But I like a good pun. This this is not that. Uh, so this is um, I'll just I'm just gonna just read it. it. Yeah, 
The lodgings were on the top floor next to the well-guarded premises of a respectable dealer in stolen property because, as Granny had heard, good fences make good neighbors. <laughs> it was so good! <laughs> That's certainly a thing that happened. Yes, very good. So we, we call that segment Best Pune or Play on Words, and <laughs> the, the, the reason behind that will become apparent mm -hmm. soon. Uh, so for our cliche count, mm -hmm. uh, nothing from any of them except gingerly. God, there was a hundred thousand gingerly. There were seven gingerlies. Ugh. Seven. So none of the others are, are making Jeez, a showing yet. Sir Terry. I, I feel like we're, we're counting those a bit early, but mm -hmm. gingerly right out of the gate. Just so many. Find a different adjective, please. I mean, it, it's too late now. The books are written and he's gone. But, you know. Uh, also, I realized last time... We'd established the precedent of us rating these, like, uh, by a letter grade. Then we forgot. And we forgot to do it for book two. So retroactively, uh, what do you give The Light Fantastic? C plus is fine. Yeah. I gave the first one a B minus. I'd probably have to give it just a straight B, yeah. I guess, because it was a little better. Uh, this one gets a B plus. I would call this a B. Okay. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. You're grading them a little more harshly than I am, but yeah. also I'm, like, you got to take into account that I'm very excited to be reading these again. We, You are hearing this more than a month. Like, we're recording this well over a month ahead of time, and we're probably going to get most of these episodes in the can way before you hear them because we don't, like, now that we've started reading them, we want to mm -hmm. keep reading them. We're very excited. Very excited. All right. Anything else? No, I think that's all the things. All right. So next time, book four, Mort. Uh, not one of Amanda's favorites, but... Everybody loves Mort, and it's, it's all right. It's not... That I love it. It's that it is a very good jumping on mm -hmm. point. It's a very good, even if you're not that into fantasy, you can get the premise. I don't like Mort very much. The characters are real easy to relate to. Like something that relies on death, who is one of the best mm -hmm. characters, like is is a good, like it's a good gateway drug. It's a good, okay, it's not excellent yet, but it's pretty good. This is a good one to start with. And it's a it's a standalone. You don't need to know anything about anything to, to understand that. Book. I haven't read it in a really long time, so it's possible I'll like it more this time around. But yeah, it's mostly in terms of comedy. You it's like you can sell it yeah. with one word. So many of the comedy premises, like the this book was very funny, but you can't really explain why it's funny in like a, a sentence. Mm -hmm. Mort is death takes an apprentice who is sort of a regular schlubby guy. And watching a regular schlubby guy put on a, a, a cloak and take people's souls is funny. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just saying in terms of marketing to other people, in terms of you want to you want to sell people on these, you, you give them something easy to read. You don't jump in with the fifth guards book or something, you know. All right. So that will be next month. That will be the 15th of February. So mm -hmm. look forward to that. And that's all for this time. This has been a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Amanda Smith for Algar Productions and Giant Black Albatross, copyright 2019. For our full archives, RSS feed, and more details about us, visit thedeathofpodcasts.com. <laughs>